Welcome to the Revenue Engine Podcast. I'm your host, Rosalind Santa Elena, and I am thrilled to bring you the most inspirational stories from revenue generators, innovators, and disruptors, revenue leaders in sales, in marketing, and of course, in operations. Together, we will unpack everything that optimizes and powers the revenue engine. Are you ready? Let's get to it. The need for revenue operations is on the rise, but revenue operations requires such a broad skill set across strategy, process, and technology, and operations teams are still lean. So what can organizations be doing to augment and power their revenue engine? Today's podcast is sponsored by Outreach.io. Outreach is the first and only engagement and intelligence platform built by revenue innovators for revenue innovators. Outreach allows you to commit to accurate sales forecasting, replace manual processes with real-time guidance, and unlock actionable customer intelligence that guides you and your team to win more often. Traditional tools don't work in a hybrid sales world. Find out why Outreach is the right solution at click.outreach.io slash RevEngine. In this episode of the Revenue Engine podcast, Patrick Hudgens, the CEO and co-founder of Delegate, shares how he and his co-founder found that companies often don't want to learn the technology to solve those problems. They just want them solved. He shares what companies are doing right and what they're doing wrong when it comes to managing their revenue tech stack and how they can optimize their overall revenue operations. So please take a listen and learn how RevOps as a service is on the rise. So excited to be here today with Patrick Hudgens, the CEO and co-founder of Delegate. For anyone who may not be familiar, Delegate is the modern services platform for revenue operations experts that leverages a flexible service model to deliver high quality results and outcomes. So welcome, Patrick, and thank you for joining me. I am very excited to learn more about you and your journey. Very excited to be here. This is going to be fun. Right. So you've held many roles in sales leadership in a lot of different industries before founding Delegate. Can you tell us more about your background and your career journey? Yeah, my background is in B2B SaaS sales and sales management. So I've worked for a number of different startups and some that have been unsuccessful relatively and some that have been very <laughs> successful. Probably the most successful would be a company called TalkDesk, where I helped build the company's first SMB sales team. And that's mm-hmm. where really where I kind of felt the pain of the, of the problem that, I, that we address and, and met my co-founder, Robert Sir. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, so let's talk about the company. You know, many times, you know, I see businesses, especially as I interview folks for the podcast, you know, I see where, you know, businesses are started when a founder, you know, tries to solve a problem. Maybe there's some pivotal moment, some aha moment. And it sounds like, you know, you sort of saw the pain at TalkDesk. So can you talk a little bit more about that? You know, how did it start? What was the original vision for the company? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just about every SaaS company I've worked for has had a problem with RevOps and whether it's, there's a, a lot of different ways that RevOps teams are built, different levels of experience, as you know, you and I talked about in the, in the, in the pre-show. 
I think it's, I've only worked for a couple companies that really had RevOps dialed in. And there's a couple important things about that. You've got somebody who's can handle the technology. If it's only a, a one person show, they can handle the technology, but they're also running the kind of insights machine, driving the insights with different leaders within the company. And then like at the end of the day, setting strategy. And it's really hard to find kind of one person right out of the gate for your startup to run all three <laughs> effectively. It's just a lot. It's a lot to ask of any person. It's a lot to ask of any skill set. And so I think it goes in either, rev, you know, RevOps people come from finance and they take the analytical or like strategy background from a financial perspective that they're, you know, looking to parlay or they come from a technical perspective, which is like, you know, that maybe they were a Salesforce admin for a number of years and now they're kind of moving into this area or they come from sales. So most companies I've been, and I was at TalkDesk, I was a, a brand new sales leader as my first kind of sales leadership role. I had 12 reps straight, straight out of the gate, which is way more reps than any new manager should ever have. And really focused on closing, closing new business and coaching reps to be more successful in, in their role. But Talkdesk was growing really quickly and I had lots of, you know, lots of requests from other parts of the business for, hey, can you get the reps to sell like this? Can you input this information? Can you, can you make sure that this is done by this stage in the sales cycle? Or can we only sell these types of deals? Those types of things. All really things that could be you know, heavily influenced by a roadmap or a, a technology roadmap, go-to-market systems roadmap for, for these teams. And at the time, we, were, we had a hard time executing against that. I'll put it that way. And so that was the problem I was trying to solve was I needed a place to go where I could talk about technology and, and talk about the business problems I had with somebody that was going to help me or think through some of these problems and then get a realistic expectation of, of a roadmap and, and, and work against that roadmap. My okay. co-founder was on the other side of the house. Robert Sir was leading TalkDesk's Salesforce product. He'd led a, led oh. a couple kind of um, Salesforce app exchange products for SaaS companies. And he had a couple problems. One, he was building functionality that needed kind of professional services work in order to be really mm. like taken advantage of by by our client or talk to us clients. And then he was like, "I'm a smart guy. I'm you know I've got a master's in computer science. Why? How come the only thing I can do to control my W two is to go drive for Uber? Why is there no way like a sales <laughs> rep they go and like you know they they." If they want to work extra hard one month, they can see that in their paycheck the following month. You know, That's why right. is that confined? And so, you know, what delegate is, is it's, it's a way to solve both of our problems where, you know, my problem, I needed a place to go to for to work against our technology roadmap and, and have a meaningful conversation about like go to market systems. Mm -hmm. And he wanted a way to be able to control his W2. And so. That's really the the kind of primordial ooze of how our business got founded. Got it. Got it. So so you talked a little bit about kind of, you know, helping with a lot of the different aspects of RevOps, right? As part of the vision. Like how it's been a couple years now, right? You've been running this company. Like how has that vision sort of evolved over the past few years? And, you know, as we were talking about before we actually started recording, we were talking about the pandemic and the effect sure. and sort of the rise of RevOps. How has that vision evolved over the past years, if at all? Yeah, at first, I think we were, we had, um, you know, we had taken the approach of building a, a software platform that would help kind of 
tee up RevOps projects for for clients. That was like our first iteration, and that's that was like after we left TalkDesk, we started building that. And that was iteration one, and then we realized that people just want really great service delivered kind of in a way that is flexible and is right. And that's what they actually want. They want they want it solved. They don't necessarily want to learn yeah. <laughs> learn as they go. VP of Sales or head of ops uh, doesn't always want to learn the technology. They just want it solved in a way that is is somewhat predictable. I think going into the pandemic, RevOps was like on the rise or beginning to catch catch fire. And like you mentioned, the, you know, we got to, you know, Q2 of 2020, and everyone's plans changed all at once. And those teams who had really good RevOps, RevOps leadership were able to pivot and those who didn't realize the value of good left RevOps leadership. <laughs> and so, you know, we're seeing we're seeing a tremendous amount of budget and earlier and earlier people are investing in RevOps, which is exciting. But, you know, who you get in that RevOps chair early is going to is going to really impact kind of what your systems look like. You and I mentioned earlier, we were talking about like, you know, if you're at 5 million or 10 million and you're starting your RevOps journey, you know, getting things set in the right way that's that's going to support kind of, you know, the journey to 50 million or 100 million is hard. It's hard. And so, you know, what we like to say that we're doing is is helping people see around the corner, if you will, for what what they can expect in the future and set systems up right from from the beginning. Yeah, that's like music to my ears, having joined so many different SaaS startups and coming in and sort of being that leader after, you know, at different stages when things are sort of built a certain way and then there's a, a level of rebuild right? There's a level of building on top, but there's also a level of tearing down and rebuilding. So what level that is, is sort of the the differentiator between all the different companies. Yeah. And and it's like, no, yeah, I I think it's it's a political capital on on (laughs) your part, on the part of the ops leader to go in and make those changes so early. I mean, a VP of sales has, you know, something like, you know, eight to 12 months to really like write the ship when they start at a company like that or get in the right direction. So they're in the hot seat. And so, you know, you kind of revamping their internal technology is very scary from their (laughs) perspective. And so that's a lot of political capital to, to, to barter, you know, if you're just coming into a role like that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think about RevOps, you know, obviously we talk a lot about alignment, right? People, process, technology, and data, right? And aligning that to the customer journey. It's all about building that infrastructure, right? To support that end-to-end journey. And a big part of that is technology, right? As we've been talking about, you know, but tech has just exploded over the past, you know, three to five years. I mean, like literally there is a tool, several tools that we can buy, right? For every single part of the funnel, And so that's made it even more challenging, right? To keep everybody aligned and keep all of that data in sync. What are some of your thoughts around how companies are, you know, managing their tech stack? You know, what do you see as company that companies are really doing, you know, that they're doing right? What are they doing wrong when it comes to technology? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good question. I think, yeah, the, we, we call ourselves kind of an administration and optimization services for go-to-market systems. Go-to-market system. I mean, obviously, Salesforce is the 800-pound gorilla in the room, but it's really yeah. like every little system that needs to work effectively. If your problem is with, you know, lean data, your reps don't care. Your leadership doesn't care. They just want it fixed, right? And gosh, if there's one thing I could say, it's just like simplicity really early. And if you've got somebody who's, you know, seen how a larger SaaS company has worked and can come in and spend some meaningful time with you earlier on, you can set Salesforce up in a way that it's fairly flexible. 
if you if you keep kind of getting multiple cooks in the kitchen, you're going to get these iterations that layer on e- each other, which beca- which becomes more difficult. And the other thing is is that there needs some there needs like disparate systems happen really quick, especially when you're hiring. Um, you know, like you've got a successful sales team, it's working well, they've got a stack that's kind of working for them. And then you get a customer success team on board, and then you get a marketing team on board, and then you get a finance team on board. And they're using, they begin choosing different tools to mm-hmm. do roughly the same thing, you know, maybe. And it's, it's funny when you start seeing different, you know, one person's using Slack and the other person's using, you know, Google chat and the other person's using, you know, different <laughs> sales engagement tools. Like somebody has sales off and somebody has groove and it's, you know, you, you, it just gets to be a lot to manage. So the simpler you can go and the fewer number of tools you can incorporate earlier on, you're just going to set the next person who comes along up in the right, in the right spot. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, I'd be interested to hear your the way you answer that question. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I I agree wholeheartedly with what you're saying about, you know, companies start to buy all these different tools, right? It's that shiny object syndrome, right? We see something like, oh, we have, you know, some brand new tool everybody's talking about. We need that, right? They don't know what they're going to do with it, but they need it. And then we also see where, oh, I have a, you know, you mentioned lead routing. So it's like, oh, I have a lead routing problem. So I need to go buy a tool right? And it has nothing to do with the tool, right? It's all about your process first, right? You don't have a clear process on how you route, how leads should be routed. And so a lot of times I see companies will buy a system thinking it's going to solve a problem. They buy the system, they pay for the licenses, they quote unquote implement it, but they sort of go live and then it just sits there, right? Nobody manages it or nobody really configures it for the business. And then as the business changes, right, especially in these earlier companies, the business inevitably is changing and nobody goes back to update the systems to support the new business process. And then you, then you're like, Oh, lean, you know, lead routing's broken. The tool's not working. I need a better tool. Right. And they start to do that. And I see that quite a bit. Yeah. So as you were saying, you know, they just start to have all of these different tools that don't talk to each other. They're not optimized. They're truly not getting the value. And I think that's where revenue operations really comes in. Right. And with a, you know, having a partner like your company is coming in and really, having a strategy, right? Looking at the overall technology as a strategy and thinking like, what do I need to really support my business and think about longer term also versus just what do I need today? Then you can not only save money and save time, but you'll actually be able to integrate and have all of those systems talking to each other. So when we start, when we, you know, join a, start working with a company that's more mature, closer to the 50 or hundred million in ARR number, you start to see these technology stacks that are, that have metastasized <laughs> and you've, you've got exactly what you said is people not, you know, they've purchased technology, but they're not using it for one reason or another. Right. Or you've got, you know, different departments really leveraging competing, competing technologies. And so, in those instances, we have to have a conversation with the team and say, if this is important for you to really get right, you should allocate some bandwidth and we can do it, but we need the bandwidth from you to begin teasing these out and, and getting rid of some of these tools that don't need to be here. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's like small projects. It's, it turns into like small projects on, on our roadmap and it's, it's, it's technical debt in the same way that, you know, engineers experience technical debt. 
yeah. for products. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that, that kind of leads me into my next question because, you know, I, I know you have a chance to work with many, you know, different revenue organizations. You obviously see a lot of different RevOps teams and you've probably seen kind of that all sizes and stages and such. Is there any advice that you would give, you know, RevOps leaders relative to, you know, how do they optimize their overall revenue operations, right? And you think about data, process, technology, right? Are there maybe two or three things that you're like, hey, these are really critical. You really, you know, RevOps leaders really need to think about this. And I think you kind of touched on maybe one or two already, but would love to kind of get your thoughts there. Yeah, the way I think about it is if you're in RevOps, what you want to be doing is driving strategy for your, for the business. That's what you want to be doing. Like everything else is is setting yourself up to be able to do. So, and I think it's a bit in stages. Like stage one is like getting the tools and the process, getting the technology and the process down so that it's like, there's no serious fires there. People can get the reports, you know, different teams are looking at the same numbers, you know, marketing and sales are walking into the executive meeting, yeah. looking at the same numbers, right? <clears throat> That's a good indicator. The next thing you like, if, if technology is dialed in enough, or, you know, you've got a strategy around technology where you can predictably make, you know, changes you're making, you know, you're, you're, you've got a roadmap, you're executing against it, it's going well. The next thing is insights. Meet with your stakeholders in other divisions, heads of finance, heads of marketing, heads of customer success, obviously the sales leader to help them identify and read the data in a way that's going to help them drive insights, yeah. right, on how they should better manage their teams. So if you're regularly doing that, then you're the person who they go to for insights. <clears throat> then, and you get pulled into the strategy conversation, which is kind of yeah. invite only. But you get pulled in if you're the person who's uh, regularly providing insights. You get you get a seat at that table, which is kind of where you want to be all 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 along. That's kind of how I think about this. Robots. Yep. 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 That makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, I've personally been a customer, right. Of your services, understand the value. Yeah. Obviously now we're about to embark on another partnership, but can you tell us more maybe about that, how that on-demand model really helps support revenue teams? So we're very different in that, um, you know, kind of most firms do a uh, SOW based consulting model where they're like, okay, let's dial in a scope of work for you. Let's like do the, all the discovery first. Like let's build an SOW. We'll agree on it, get the lawyers to dial in on it. <laughs> and then we'll execute on it over the course of three or six months. And then, you know, we'll give, we'll sell you hours or something like that. That's like how almost all, you know, Salesforce consulting or go to market systems consulting works. Mm-hmm. So the way that the reason that's hard is that's a waterfall, that's a waterfall ideology where you're like stacking everything up and then executing against that in a, in a silo. Yeah. The hard part for startups or SaaS companies is that they're more agile than that. Their go-to-market teams are more agile than that. They're, you know, as I mentioned, the, you know, the head of sales has, you know, 18 to, to, you know, or, or you know, eight to 16 months or so really in the seat typically. I mean, the average, average tenure is really small. So they're looking to... Yeah iterate as fast as they can on their go-to-market model really quickly. You know, the, and that's, a, that's the speed of iteration is really important. And so they, you know, building mm-hmm. in it, that's, this is why they hire externally or they hire people internally mm-hmm. to be part of their teams is that they don't always want to commit to a roadmap for six months or 12 months. Yep. They want to build on more agile basis. What, what's the minimum viable version of this that's going to be successful because from that point we'll be able to better see what the next 
piece of functionality that we should focus on or the next the next thing? Or is that M- MVP good enough for where we are as a business? And so this is why they hire internally for this role so mm-hmm. that they have that flexibility. And so that's that's what we aim to attack is that that same sort of working style that you would get from a, from an internal employee. Got it. That flexibility is really key, right? Because a lot of times you come in and then you start to, you actually start to do the work and you realize like, okay, really I need to lean in more here, or maybe I don't really need that. I need this, right? And just having that flexibility is really key. And I think it makes it really easy to work, right? And work for. So, and you know, you, we were talking about how you have sort of a different approach, right? To providing incentive, to your team. Would you like to speak to how, you know, sort of that, what what is that approach? And then what, how that approach really helps to drive that kind of better client experience, which ultimately leads to better client retention. Yeah. I think, you know, I'm, I'm a millennial. I think most millennials now are really like expected to change jobs every couple of years. It's really common to, to change jobs. Mm -hmm. You know, we're, we're having, you know, this generation represents itself on the job market more than any generation really like, in, you know, in the past, it's speeding up. And in startups, especially, you know, that go through periods of hyper growth and contraction, sometimes, unfortunately, people end up representing themselves in the job market more. And they're therefore, you know, especially kind of if you're more introverted, this is not like the ideal scenario for you to be doing. And, you know, it ends up in having, you know, lower conviction in your long-term earning potential, which leads to lower rates of home ownership, which, which leads to smaller families and all those types <laughs> of stuff from a demographic perspective. Yep. And so what we do, you know, and, and I've felt this, I've worked for lots of different startups. What we do is, you know, instead of, you know, at, at the beginning of that relationship, you know, you, we, you, know we, you, you come on board with us and we incentivize our, our solutions engineers the same way as sales rep is incentivized where they have a base salary and then they have an on-target earnings and we don't their on-target earnings i think we've got people making north of two hundred thousand dollars a year under our model because they and they've they really get measured against customer satisfaction retention and overall overall client load and from this perspective they can work wherever they want they can control their Mm w-2s they can control the types of technology companies they're working on they can have more security in their career and they can grow and learn on new systems i mean that's that's what you know technical people want to do is learn more technology get more you know established in the technology and so from that perspective they're able to earn more and learn more and you know, be appreciated and they don't necessarily need to need to be stuck anywhere that they don't want to be. So, yeah, yeah I love that. I love that. You know, with everyone sort of headed to, you know, looking at optimizing and maximizing resources, where do you, where do you see the market headed, right? In terms of more of these sort of as a service offerings, especially in the RevOps space? Well, I think also, you know, we've, we're in a, our little corner of the world of Silicon Valley is now all over. <laughs> That's um, right. You know, there's Silicon Plains and there's there's SaaS, there's SaaS companies popping up in cornfields. Uh, you know, the secret's <laughs> out. Uh, software is eating the world. And and but there's a there's a, and it's really like a huge wave of money that came into our little corner of the world. And so there's all this cash and there's all these companies, but there's not all that many experienced operators that have done this before. And so what you get is kind of what you and I talked about earlier is like these hiring markets that are nuts, <laughs> yes. that are crazy. And at the, at, at the same time, you know, we, we just went through a pandemic. And so, you know, the question is, you know, I don't think 
you know, CFOs who see, you know, headcount or HR as the largest, you know, human capital is the largest, you know, item on their, on their expense list. Mm-hmm. They're going to say, okay, well, if you can work effectively remote from Palo Alto from home, why can't you effectively work remote from Kansas or why not the Philippines? And so there's a, I think there's a combination, there's a conversation right now happening in tech and tech is leading the way between labor and capital. It's really interesting and I don't think getting enough like thought or real discussion around it. But this question of like, do I want to be an employee or do I not want to be an employee? Do I have to be in the office or not be in the office? This is all part of a larger conversation that's going to dictate the way we all work in the future. LinkedIn, just, just I don't know if you noticed this or saw this, but you can advertise your services on LinkedIn recently. They just launched this over the last like year or so where you can be an independent consultant and list your mm-hmm. list, get hired on LinkedIn. And, and this is all, all part of a, a, a larger conversation, a larger movement towards more independence on the part of the worker. Got it. Got it. That's great. Thank you. As I think about the revenue engine, the podcast, I always hope that others will be able to, you know, take away some tips and some advice around how to really accelerate revenue growth, right? And power the revenue engine. From your perspective, like what are the top, you know, maybe two or three things that you think, hey, all CEOs or revenue leaders should really be thinking about right now to help accelerate revenue growth? Yes. Number one is I would say buy sales. If you're a SaaS company, buy Salesforce early. Don't go with another competing CRM because you know at some like for a couple reasons. One, as you bring on new individual contributors, they're more likely if they have experience in the industry, they're more likely to have worked in Salesforce. They're instead of using your new CRM, you know, independent CRM that you mm-hmm. bought. The other thing is you're going to hire a head of marketing. You're going to hire a, a head of finance, ideally that comes from a sales that comes from a SaaS background as well. They're going to have experience working in Salesforce. Everything else is going to be a learning curve for them. So while you kind of look at that CRM expense and say, "Gosh, Salesforce is expensive," at the beginning, realize that you're saving costs in later. And and if you are going to be that fifty or hundred million dollar SaaS company, you're not going. To, you're likely not going to be on those CRMs for for the long haul. So that's that's like number one is like you know it's kind of like get out of your own head and and like pay more earlier on one piece. The next thing is make sure that you have a way to iterate on your numbers because if you're coming in to a board meeting, the output of that board meeting is likely to be, hey, we need more data or hey, we need to adjust these or let's focus on these metrics, and uh, you're likely to adapt to that reality. So maybe it's like retention or maybe it's CAC or those types of things. So you better be sure you have a way to measure those metrics. Mm-hmm. And if you're if you find yourself as a as a CEO or a leader un, unprepared to deliver accurate metrics like those, or you know, customer cohort numbers or those types of things, make sure you're working with a team and have a have a have a not just a person who shows up once in a while, but like a regular you put a team together that's that's going to be able to iterate on this and get you the data that you need. I see this all the time where people are like, I don't, I can't give the, my board is asking for metrics and I don't even know how to give them these <laughs> metrics. I see that, uh, I don't know, in 10% of our clients, something like that. 
Yeah. Yeah. The data and figuring out how to measure and what to measure, I think is really, is really key. It's just, it's really tough. I think a lot of companies you come in, you're like, well, what are the high level objectives for next year? You know, what are the right metrics to measure performance and tracking against those objectives? And then what's the right data, right? Sort of that, those couple of steps. And then oftentimes there's gaps, right? In every step of the way. So yeah, definitely. I like the investing early, I think in the technology, like a CRM or, you know, making sure you make that purchase and getting it set up the right way, right? As you were talking about earlier is make sure you get it set up the right way early on when it's easier (laughs) to do versus later when your business is more complex. Along those lines, like, are there things that maybe you wish you knew earlier or maybe you might do differently if you had a chance to sort of hit the reset button and do it all over again? In building a company, you mean? Yes. I would say what I would what I would do earlier. You know, I'm I'm such a fan that like incentives drive behavior and clear expectations build healthy relationships. Those are like my my business and life mottos. So I think we've done a fantastic job at building really great incentives for our, our team and our employees early on. I think setting clear expectations is a is a is a piece that we could have gotten better at, and so. I, as a, as a leader, am like really – because I'm, I'm like a sit around a campfire and discuss something and tell a story that dictates kind of what, you know, the vision or the strategy that I'm looking to convey. But, you know, in a remote environment, creating kind of independent resources that, you know, can be referenced mm-hmm. by a third party, you know, even after a, a conversation has been had is, is something that I'm that – I'm, that I wish I would have grown into earlier. Got it. Yeah. That's helpful. Thank you. So as we wrap up, I always ask two things and I try to give these questions ahead of time because I, I, as I was mentioning to you, I don't like <laughs> those kind of surprises when it comes to personal stuff. So as we, as we wrap up two things, one, sure. what is the one thing about you that others might be surprised to learn? And two, what is the one thing that you, you want everyone to know about you? And I've actually found that with some guests, it's the same thing. So something that's surprised that's surprising about you and something you want people to know. Um, <laughs> I, well, you know, one thing I think people don't realize about me is that I'm like really driven. I told you, you know, that I'm incentives drive behavior and clear expectations. Those things are, you know, unique and I think uh, are really important uh-huh. to me. I think I am driven a lot by, I'm constantly thinking about, about, how can we drive more opportunities outside of kind of major U.S. metros into into areas that are underserved? And I think, you know, these might be underserved urban populations, but it's also underserved rural populations, which count which account for like most of the people in the United yeah. States. So like how do we bring, you know, good quality jobs to to lower income areas or more rural areas to take advantage of it? And so I'm I'm really passionate about that. I think the things that Americans do best are innovate and sell really like those, those things that we're yeah. good at are like, you know, like we're, you know, if you look at data, we're over, overconfident, <laughs> you know, overconfident, and like, you know, under we're, we're low in other areas, but you know, what, what we're good at is services, not necessarily manufacturing. And so playing to our strengths and, and finding more service-based, you know, service-based, you know, and being able to bring more opportunities for the services economy to, you know, rural areas is something I'm like, passionate. 
all yeah, for. I love that. So, That's great. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Well, good. Well, so thank you so much, Patrick, for joining me. It's been such a pleasure to chat with you. Enjoyed our pre-show conversation just as much as our, <laughs> our recorded session, but really appreciate your time. And thank you for sharing so many great insights. Thanks for having me on. This is fun. 